0: Welcome to the Clinical Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum Journal Club. Here in our PCRF Journal Club, we promote evidence-based practices by critically evaluating the latest science in emergency medical services. We hope our discussion will help advance EMS practice. Through the generous support of our sponsors, Limmer Education and ESO, we are able to make science more accessible and understandable. It's probably better if I do this off of mute, but
1: welcome everyone to the August 2022 edition of Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum's Journal Club podcast. A special thank you again to the Limer Education and ESO for making it possible for us to be here today. Uh, I'm Remley Crow, and today I'm joined by Dr. Tony Fernandez, Jeff Rollman, and Dr. Bill Toon. And we also have with us one of the authors of our paper from today, Dr. Srinivasa Janagama. As a reminder to all of you about the article that we're reviewing, it's called, Is AVPU Comparable to GCS in Critical Pre-Hospital Decisions, a Cross-Sectional Study? And this was published in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. And as always, our discussion is paired with an article written by our very own Dr. Tony Fernandez, which will be in EMS World, it's called Journal Watch. Encourage you all to check it out at emsworld.com under the category of Education and Training. And I wanna thank the audience again for joining us today. As we begin, all of you listeners can use your chat feature. If you're here with us live on your screen, type in questions and comments, and we'll be bringing those into the conversation as we go. And we have a really exciting conversation today, so I hope that you all participate. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Johnagama and see if you would like to introduce yourself to our audience. I'm sure they'll be very interested in hearing who you are, where you work, and just a little bit about your background in EMS.
2: Yeah, hi, I'm Dr. Srinivasa here. Uh, I am a trained medical graduate from India. Uh, work, after working in uh, for about uh, five years in clinical care on emergency side, I moved on to development of pre-hospital systems in India. Like uh, just like 911 you have here, we developed a system based on 108 system with integrated call center, ambulance system and all. Uh, I worked for that system till 2016 before moving to California. As my family was moving here, I followed them. So I was lucky enough that I was offered a position as a postdoctoral research fellow uh, doing a research on pre-hospital systems, uh, mainly in India. So uh, that is my journey. And my journey is somewhat related to the paper that we are discussing today too. So I'm very much eager to join and I'm so happy to be here.
1: Well, we're very glad that you're here and wanna thank you for taking your time and sharing it with us because this is a really interesting paper that has big implications and positive implications for pre-hospital care. Uh, Just as a reminder for our audience, the objective of this study was specifically to evaluate whether the pre-hospital scale that we use for assessing alertness, so AVPU, alert, verbal, pain, and unresponsive, if that correlates with the more complicated Glasgow Coma Scale score. Um, And in turn, are those things both related to outcomes, specifically for patients with trauma? Uh, I'm curious, before we dive into the findings or any of that, I always like to ask, what drove you to investigate this research question? Yeah,
2: it's, it's quite interesting question. And see, uh, back in 2005, when we started our services, EMT training was totally non-existent across India. We had to develop a training curriculum, then develop a training program, just to find people who can work on the ambulance. So even when we tried to explain what is EMT, what it does, what is EMS, people were, okay, was a little bit reluctant. So that is how we started the training program. And you can imagine uh, the status of the students who are coming to the program and delivering care. Uh, we got the students from the local ambulance based locations where we placed our ambulances and uh, 10th class uh, passed, or sometimes it is 12th class. And some of them, very few of them, had bachelor's degrees. So that's how, that is the demography of students coming to the program. And over a period of two to three years, we saw like, okay, we have to develop certain things that are interesting. And we looked at the triage, trauma triage, and more emphasis was being given to triage and all. And when we looked at the triage decision scheme and all, it's GCS. And we thought it has high inter-rater variability and all, and I don't know how our our EMTs does on it, so we wanted to develop some simplified systems. Like, why don't we use AVPO? That's where I started. Like, let us check how it compares to GCS. The AVP recorded by our own EMTs. Uh, let us see how it compares to GCS. And we, so the, over the over the five years, we were training the students about GCS too. Sometimes in the refresher training programs. So with that uh, base, I. We, we went on to do a study on how to check how it come how abpo compares to gcs so that's the journey of this paper and it is always to ease the system for emt so that the outcomes are better so that way it might help
1: Simpler is better, and I am definitely part of that camp. Um, Recently, uh, Dr. Fernandez and I worked on looking at the stroke screening instruments you might be familiar with. Uh, There's a lot of complex stroke instruments when it comes to detecting large vessel occlusion, but our question Mm -hmm. was, does face-arm speech give us the same Mm -hmm. results so that can we keep it simple? And so I love that this adds to that kind of culture around if we have a tool and it's simple and it works and it's easy for recall, especially, you know, among something you might not see every day, that's a really important piece. But, you know, this is so fascinating to me. So since 2006, you've really been building a system and including an education system. It would be great if we could talk just a little bit about what that system looks like now in terms of you know, education and operation. So you mentioned the EMT level was kind of where you started. What does that course look like now? And have there been any additional levels added?
2: Yes, uh, beginning with the EMT basic, it was EMT basic training program. And there were around 15,000 uh, students I have piled out of that program, I've been working there. And there is a bit of attrition uh, so, to keep it up there keep on running the programs. so on top of that, we found we should have an additional layer of paramedics. So, in two thousand nine, uh, we partnered with Stanford and the football college uh, in California. so we <laughs> developed a two year advanced paramedic program. Uh, those batches are going on uh, first batch students they got onto the ambulances and uh, they were immediately promoted to all administrative jobs uh, that happened with the first batch and the second batch onwards slowly they started sticking to uh, to the big core work that they are trained for and uh, so right now about 6 7 batches came out and the local university gave a, a recognition to that program it is being run as a mainstream training program so in from that, uh, we have around uh, thousand of them, thousand advanced paramedics. Uh, only f- I think they are with the system now and few of them have moved out of the country too. But uh, interesting thing is with the EMTs, uh, we selected local uh, young students. Uh, this EMT program gave us a, an employment for them and a respect in the community. And they they feel so proud of it and they are passionate about it. Uh, It's a social standing. I mean, we thought it's just a, we are caring for a patient and we are training some people. So, but without our knowledge, it, it morphed into one thing where it gave a social recognition for them a standing for them. That's what they come and tell us like yeah, it is I am part of it. This is my life Uh, I take care of patients. I I know people over there and I'm given importance and that makes us happy
0: Yeah
1: I think that is so important and something for us to learn too, the recruiting from within the community and that standing in the community with professionalism and, and, you know, being a part of your own group, I think is a a really important piece of that.
2: Yeah. And for the curriculum we followed uh, in its DSA thing, uh, the EMTB and uh, advanced paramedics, uh, the textbook is Braddis, of course that of course <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we wanted to make it a standard, and we converted some of them into local vernaculars language. The additional component we have for our people or there is uh, pregnancy, how to handle deliveries on the ambulance um, so Important. this is the drive, yes, the drive is more from w h o and uh, the the Millennium Development Goals afterwards. Um, and so the push is a lot from the government and the funding for these ambulance operations are from that budget. So, but it is helping a lot. They transport the pregnant women and they drop the pregnant women back home from the hospitals, oh, wow. more so in the rural communities, villages. The people are far, far away from the hospital and to promote the institutional deliveries, uh, these ambulances are being used. So it's a different system <laughs> compared to what we see here
1: in the U.S. Oh, for yeah. sure. I could tell you, admittedly, yeah, a... I browsed through that chapter really fast on deliveries and just hoped yeah. that maybe that wouldn't happen during my shift. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that's 50... an important care, especially if you have long transport distances to a maternity center. That can be a really yes. big deal.
2: So now there are 15% of the total activations are for pregnancies. And 15%, 15% for trauma.
1: Yeah. Oh well, that's yeah, that's definitely a different distribution than what yeah. we see. Um and, and the trauma piece is really important as well because we know time is very important yes. in that. And so the decisions that you make really quickly, especially based off something like the triage tool that we're gonna discuss, it can have an important yeah. outcome for the patient. Um I think I'll invite Tony to join us now and maybe we can talk through some of the specifics on the methods around this. I know he's got some great questions around uh, just the system in general and uh, how this all happened, because it was a lot of work and I really wanna congratulate you on getting this study. It's a very important contribution. Yeah.
3: Yeah, excuse me, I agree and welcome. I just wanna say uh, congratulations also on on, this is a really fascinating study. So one of the things that I think will be really important for our listeners as we go forward for them to understand is um, the system in in general. uh, When we're talking about uh, GVK Emergency Management Research Institute, this is not a small system. Uh, They, according to the paper, they serve 17 states in India, um, approximately 25,000 pre-hospital activations a day, uh, with about 90 million since. 2005 yeah. so that is that that's an impressive system maybe you can give us a little more background and uh understanding of how this system works
2: yeah it's a it's an integrated system by integrated system by i mean they have their own call center they have their own training division and the operations operations are the field level ambulances and the staff that are working on the ambulances day-to-day operations of its supply chain and all uh, the training division is train the EMTs, train the first responders on the field, train the... So we have a system wherein like uh, the the person who drives the ambulance just drives the ambulance. The person who takes care of the patient just takes care of the patient. And the person who drives the ambulance knows a little bit about lifting and moving the patient and basic first aid, not the complete EMT care. That's the difference between the uh, system available here in U.S. Uh, compared to Indian's uh, EM system, so we uh, so these three components—the training, the call center, and the operations—are under one roof. Uh, each state has has its own operating unit, which with these three divisions, and we the organization has a public-private partnership with the government. Uh, it is a not-for-profit organization. Um, so. We initially we used to go with the memorandum of understanding, just a letter wherein we we understood certain things, guidelines that we have to follow, no tender process, nothing, no bidding, nothing. We used to go to the government office and sign that and run the services. So wherein the cost of operations is uh, funding is provided by the government and the management part is provided by GVK Emergency Management Research Institute. Um, So that is how this model works uh, with each state has its own operating unit and budgets from the respective state governments. Now we started with uh, 30 ambulances uh, funding totally provided by one of the philanthropist uh, software uh, company, you know, software is in big way, right? There's a lot of money and they provided money for those ambulances. And after the after proving the model, the local government uh, partnered with us, and that from there on we went across 17 states. We started in the state called uh, Telang uh, Andhra Pradesh in the south uh, southern part of India. Now we are uh, uh, this organization is running across 17 states and one union territory. Uh, the day we written this paper, there was 25,000. Calls a day. I mean, activations. They get around uh, hundred thousand calls, but uh, activations, ambulance activations are twenty five thousand. They're they're saying as of last month, they say they said it was it is around thirty thousand activations a day. One caveat here is uh, a difference from the Western system is uh, the government promotes dropping picking the pregnant woman from their home and dropping them at the local hospital the villages being far apart and they don't have a good transport system they use to promote the institutional deliveries and antenatal checkups not to miss them so they promote ambulance services to track these pregnant women go to their home pick them up on time drop them at hospital and after delivery they are dropped back home. So that uh, adds about 15% of the calls. Trauma constitutes 15 to 20%. Uh, rest of the calls are medical and thing. Yeah, That's this is about a very busy
1: the, system. Sure
2: is.
3: You know.
1: uh, we actually busy. have a question from the audience related to the workforce in India. So out of curiosity what is the diversity of the emt workforce are there you know is there a split between men and women and are there any cultural issues with um the gender of the ems clinician being the same as the patient
2: yeah i see initially when we started uh, it was predominantly boys but that changed within a span of two to three months uh that's right we were yeah we were recruiting initially we started with uh we thought uh, the bachelor degree people with bachelor degree may not be available we thought we will go for uh, 12th class high school students and all but in, uh, when we started interviewing things everyone was a had a bachelor degree in biology and all why we thought why not we take it to the, so we went on um, so it is the gender difference we we don't find anything both females and males all of them are working on the ambulances basically it is driven by the need for the employment rather than passion for it initially so the local youth uh, the local, so what we did is we we got the students from the localities where we placed ambulances and the, the training patterns in those areas are entirely different from what we signed in Metro, what we find in metros. So these guys, uh, they were very passionate and though they joined out of need for an employment, over time they gained uh, the social standing respect in the community and all which we did not expect they did not expect Uh, so it was a truly a social phenomena if we can if someone can do a study on that it will be an interesting uh, finding and it will show some answers how to how to develop a system sustainable system so for your question there is no there is the workforce is diverse and there is attrition, there is about 20% attrition will be there uh, because of other influences from the local. And most of the dropouts are from women, but uh, our study did not show any difference as such, but there is some uh, dropout more so on the women's side and they come back again, join uh, later on. So For your question, yeah. The workforce is diverse, uh, the, they are from the local towns rather from the towns rather than the metros. They stick with the system, they they are passionate about it, they, they take it as a good social standing for them in the local communities they serve. Yeah. I love to hear about that passion
3: and, um, and the diverse workforce. It's really interesting. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting about um, the the system you have set up is the training program. Um, As I understand it, it's about 52 days and it's comparable to uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, delineated courses here in the United States. One of the things I thought that was interesting was that uh, EMT basics don't really learn about the GCS in their initial program, but more in their refresher courses and maybe you can expand a little bit about the training and um and, and how they,
2: they they go into uh, uh trauma triage and the like. Yeah. So the 50 to two two-day training program is the initial 30 days is in the didactic curriculum in in our at our headquarters. Uh they go through that and we have uh, advanced similar uh, siemens you we know, bought Initially, we used them for training, and we had initial educators were trained by the Foothill College here and the Stanford uh, Emergency Medicine faculty. They have come there and trained the initial set of instructors. And from then on, we picked up and developed local instructors instructor force. So the 52 training program first 30 days is local, I mean in-house didactic section, and uh, next 20 days. Uh, about 15 days, they are on the ambulance, under an instructor, and about five one week, they are placed in a hospital emergency department uh, to go through, to learn about the handover process. How patients are handed over in the hospital when they come, they be on the hospital side, and they know about um, how the, the equipment is left there, how it is handled, and all those things. Yeah, regarding the curriculum, it's the same as what is uh, shown, I mean, given by NSTSA, and we follow Brady's EMD textbook. Uh, We we did that continuing with it. And we converted, I mean, we translated uh, to the local vernaculars. And uh, more so, the exam uh, uh, will be conducted uh, the, the way we speak and all. It is predominantly local vernacular rather than. English, that way it made it easy for them. And when we take the lessons too, uh, though the books are in English, we explain it in methods and tell, I mean the local vernacular, the instructors are trained to explain it in the local vernacular so that it is not difficult for them to understand the concepts. So this, and these EFTs, once they are, uh, they have this program, they are placed on the ambulances and every six months they're called back to the headquarters to have a refresher training program that runs for a week. Um, so, uh, I mean, same, I, I mean, like the uh, GCS, the topics like uh, Glasgow Coma Scale and all, uh, we teach for some of the students who are well good at it. And over a period of time, we just train the GCS and all to everyone rather. And one more thing is, uh, we had tied up with um, American Family Physicians, American Association of Family Physicians, their BLSO, basic life support in obstetrics. They undergo BLSO training program to one day. And the other one is ITLS. Uh, For everyone who has an experience, I mean, they, after six months or so, they are given ITLS. uh, BLS, training program the basic life support uh, certification is given when they are placed on the ambulances but the ITLS component they will have this certification about six months later uh, it is it is the organization has made it mandatory for every EMT to undergo ITLS too so they learn these GCS as a part of ITLS too so
3: and that is
2: really interesting so
3: um now that we have some some understanding of the system and, and training and the like, let's dive into the study a little bit and can you tell us yeah. about how um you went about initially collecting these data and how you worked that into their workflow and kind of what what data were collected uh from
2: from your your providers? yeah, so we started with uh, this is uh, this, we went for a convenience sample we did not go for any stratified sampling or sampling but we did not go. It is a convenient sample. Uh, EMTs are available. I mean, we recruited research assistants as a part of uh, we have a system called online medical research. When the uh, the patient is being handled, when the uh, patient is being transferred, transferred to the hospital, there are a, a group of people sitting in the call center. Uh, they will speak with the EMT and collect the data from the clinical data. So as such a EHR, I mean our PCR patient care report as an application is non-existent uh, from the so we we call them collect the data if, if at all we need clinical data vitals and all they will fill up the PCR the PCR takes about 15 days to reach the headquarters and converting that back into electronic data it takes time so to expedite the process for research we developed a system called online medical research so convenient sampling. We go for some so for certain studies. We go for stratified sampling, but for this study, we went for a convenient sample. Uh, we recruited uh, research assistants, about two of them in each state, and it's like um, we the there are a pool of cases that are being handled now. And I am a research assistant. I have I finished my data collection of the prior case. Now I'm free. I pick up one case from there and I'll call the EMT and say what is the right time to call you and this is all the data that I require we tell them and these data variables are not beyond what they usually collect as a part of uh, patient care report Uh, we inform that uh, we will call after an hour after you drop off the patient so that you can give me the details so we the research assistant after the initial uh, information he calls the EMT back and takes the uh, details. The variables are like all the demographic details uh, we had, all the vitals uh, at the time of pickup and at the time of drop off, and patient status when they arrived on scene on the way, and the patient status when they are dropped off. Um, so these details we collect from the EMT and we track the case. Uh, we have an application which tracks all these cases. Uh, so, for for this particular study, we used the REDCap, uh, a data collection tool designed by Vanderbilt University and used by Stanford. And we use the same tool over there in, in, in GVT MRI to collect uh, research data. Uh, so, after 48, we track the cases. And after 48 hours after drop off, we call the patient again because the initial data has phone numbers of patients, patient phone numbers. Uh, almost two of them, one patient, one phone number, an additional phone number of some relative or someone. Uh, we track the patients at 48 hours again, and we track the status. How are they at all? And a week later too, and 28 days later too, to know how their uh, how the outcomes are. So for this paper, we limited to 48 hours uh, post drop off. And
3: <clears throat> so in order to be included. Um they had to have both the uh the AVPU yes. and their g c s included in the in the record is that correct yeah and yes. can you tell us a little bit about um your outcome measures and and, and why you chose those
2: yeah uh, we the our, my our primary outcome measure is uh, uh the and probability of death at forty eight hours and we tried to relate AVPU categories and it their, uh, I mean correlation with uh, deaths at 48 hours, uh, that is one. The secondary outcome measures we selected the how, how does G- AVPU and GCS relate to each other? Like uh, what is the median score of GCS for each A- A category in and output uh, And regarding their discriminative ability, do, are they comparable, GCS and AVPU, are they comparable in their discriminative ability to predict the death at 48 hours. So these are our primary and uh, secondary outcome measures. Primary being the probability of death at 48 hours. Secondary outcome measures may being the median GCS for each category of AVPU and uh, the discriminative ability of GCS and AVPU for 40, death at 48 hours. And the box which is being uh, displayed on the screen are the exclusion criteria. So we excluded uh, our, our patients who have stayed in the hospital. If, if suppose the patient is being transferred from hospital and to a different hospital, inter-facility transfer, and if the patient has stayed in the hospital for 12 hours, we excluded those cases because it influences, the hospital treatment influences. And the dispatch information was incorrect. Some of, Sometimes the dispatch information is incorrect. And sometimes when the ambulance reaches the scene, the patient is not there with the, or sometimes we could not reach the EMT at all. We excluded those cases too. And uh, after, once the EMT reaches, there is no evidence of injury. Maybe that was a the classification of the call was mistaken and uh, no injury or there we excluded those cases too. And if the EMT was handling multiple patients on the ambulance, like uh, what happens is if there is a, it's uh, unlike uh, US, In India, sometimes the patients don't listen to the EMT. They just enter the ambulance, sit, take me to the hospital. So if the ambulance arrived on scene and there are multiple patients, uh, they sit and we have to transfer them. So if the EMT is handling multiple patients, even then we exclude it. Uh, Or if it is an ambulance to ambulance transfer, sometimes if it is beyond its jurisdiction, some other ambulance will come and uh, pick up this patient. And if we have to transfer to a medical college which is beyond 20 kilometers, that is 15 miles, uh, so it, some other ambulance from that jurisdiction picks this and leaves the ambulance for other cases. So, and uh, deaths on arrival, we don't have any means of uh, recording AVP or GCS. So, we, we excluded those cases. Too.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think you made some really wise decisions with your inclusion, exclusion criteria and uh, with your outcomes. Um, I know our audience is chomping at the bit to start to get the results. But um, before we do, I just want to open it up to any other panelists to see if they have any other methods related questions. And um, after that, I'm excited to get to your results. Thanks again for joining
4: us. Thank
1: you. Jeff. Hi,
4: Dr. Tomagama. Definitely a pleasure to have you on today, and to see this terrific research, and to really hear about the amazing EMS system that you've created. That um, less than 20 years, you're having, um, I mean, 10,000 plus ambulances, and so many very diverse workforce. So just congratulations on all that you've done. Um, just had a couple of a couple more just about the system you provided a great overview of the pre-hospital care system um, and how EMT training works. Uh, I know there's also the dispatch center. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what the hospital system is like. Are there different sort of levels of hospitals? Are the EMTs trained to be triaging and taking patients to maybe further hospitals that might have um, cath lab or uh, um, trauma surgeon there or, is yeah. that, um, or, are they tra- or are they transferred after they arrive at the initial hospital? You could just tell us a little bit of how it works. Um, yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. So in the, in India, the healthcare is divided between private and uh, government. A government provides free ho- uh, healthcare for everyone, irrespective of your insurance or anything. So the public hospital system is under the government. And a bulk of, pay, I mean, population majority of the population depends on the uh, public health system the public health system is three diet like primary secondary and uh, Tertiary system in the tertiary. I mean uh, in the tertiary system will let us come from the top to bottom So in the tertiary system, we have medical colleges uh, some postgraduate training institutions and uh, Some of the district hospitals I mean, let us say tri- so tertiary is all medical colleges and postgraduate training institutions. So secondary system, we have district level hospitals and few sub-district level hospitals. These are 300 bedded to 500 bedded hospitals. So the secondary level hospitals, sub-district hospitals and the district level hospital, they have they are 300 to 500 bed hospitals. Uh, the primary level is is the basic local town level hospitals. Uh, The primary health center, they have primary health centers which work during the daytime and community health centers which work around the clock, 24 hours a day. So the tertiary system, as you said, the tertiary system constituting medical colleges, they have trauma centers, they have an ICU, they have a a CT facility, uh, computer tomography facility and a cat lab uh they have uh, trained trauma surgeons uh in the hospital and in them they have emergency departments uh, with uh, being i mean then we did not have an emergency medicine as a specialty but now it is existing now so earlier it was all surgeons and uh, a combination of surgeons and medical specialists uh, and anesthesiologist uh, working in the emergency department but now they are, they have trained specialists this is about tertiary hospitals so the secondary hospitals which are constituted with district and sub district level hospitals um, they have a a casualty as, as which a, a round down emergency department uh, with uh, non trained like non specialists like they are general physicians and general surgeons uh manning i mean posted in the emergency the casualty and they take care of the patients they have an icu uh the, some of them have cath labs but not all uh ct is available in some of the centers but a radiologist will not be available to read all the while the they have a telemetry facilities wherein the uh, the films are sent in batches to tertiary centers they read and send it back to the This is about the secondary level hospitals the primary hospitals are community health centers they have a nominal step down icu sort of thing and they have a surgeon on call uh, 24 hours but he will be in the hospital from 9 to 2. afterwards they will be available on call and bulk of our transfers in this study were to secondary level hospitals and the tertiary level hospitals Um, so this is where we transferred the health sy- This is how the health system works in India so and private setups very few patients have uh, insurance and as a protocol our ambulance system takes the patient to the nearest government hospital uh, Nearest government hospital and if the patient requires an additional higher level of care uh, he will be taken to the district. I mean district hospital or the tertiary medical college hospital now who takes this decision to Bypass the local hospital and take to a higher level center uh, We have physicians available online uh, Sitting in the call center so that the EMT when he has doubt and he call call the physician and explain explain about the patient and the on-call physician will Suggest where to where the patient should be taken uh, to the uh, and some most often uh, If it is not far off most of the tertiary hospitals are within 30 kilometers range 25 to 30 kilometers I mean 25 miles range uh, If it is more than that reaching about it takes more than an hour for the ambulance uh, so This patient will be handed over to an intercept ambulance and they will be transferred from there uh, so this is how, and private hospital decision, if the patient feels that I want to go to private hospital, he'll be taken to the private hospital of his choice.
1: That's all very helpful. Uh, it seems like a diverse system as well. Yes. Well, let's take a look. Cause I can tell you those research assistants were really busy in five weeks. <laughs> so there were almost 3000 activations that were actually included in the analysis. And then, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I think that's true when we get into figure one here. So just taking a look at the distribution of different Glasgow Coma Scale scores versus the EMS clinician's assessment of alert verbal pain or unresponsive. Uh, So perhaps you can walk us through what's your key takeaway for these categories versus the Glasgow Coma Scale score?
2: So from the picture, you can easily identify the alert and unresponsive patients are significantly different, but there is an overlap in verbal and pain categories over there. And if you compare, I mean, if you compare this with, uh, so our main emphasis was triage, right? Uh, uh, triage decision scheme. Any patient who is less than 14 has to be taken to a trauma center, and From looking at this picture, it is easily any patient who is not alert can be taken to a trauma center. I mean, like we can infer that information from this uh, graph. Uh, So, from my finding from this, is my takeaway from this is unresponsive patient and alert patient have a different uh, uh, GCS band. They can be easily identified uh, clinically uh, significantly different and there is a sort of overlap between verbal and pain categories uh, mm-hmm. but is that that's that's okay for now maybe this year we use the gcs recorded by the emt and the avp recorded by the emt and as such there is a high interrater variability even among the physicians uh, more so, it will be around verbal and pain categories. And if you look at the research, there are many papers who's, uh, which have shown a overlap between verbal and pain categories. Uh, they, that way, we can explain. So, but comparing it with the triage, so the main emphasis was how can we use avpo in triage instead of Glasgow coma scale. So, triage triage decision scheme: anything less than 14 uh, can go to has to be taken to it trauma center preferably to a trauma center and here anyone who is not alert is being shown as to be taken to verbal pain response they can they, should, they can be taken to a trauma center and if you compare this with the uh, early warning national early warning score mm-hmm. used by nhs in uk uh, any patient who has verbal pain and unresponsive they are given a higher score 3 they are grouped together to be given a higher score, three, even this matches with what they do. Though it is used to identify patients who are deteriorating within the hospital, I think we are are on the same lines, what our findings are on the same lines.
1: Absolutely, and I think those early warning scores share a similar goal in making the triage decision easy and figuring out who's a critical patient versus who's a not so critical patient, and it's very clear here. We ha- And we also have an interesting comment from uh, one of our audience participants, Mike, talking about when they began one of the trials, they had to actually stop the trial to retrain 600 EMS providers on how to calculate GCS because it was easy to do 15, 14, and three, but everything else gets really mixed up in the middle. Yes. Uh, another yeah. point, too, that we've seen in some recent literature is around components of the GCS. Some of them may be more predictive than others. So, like, the yes. motor scale seems to yes. be very predictive of outcomes, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the eye and verbal maybe not as much. And I think that the motor part of this also corresponds really nicely with AFPU. When you get to something, yeah. like, unresponsive, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about mortality, too, because that was an important thing is to say, well, one mm-hmm. thing is, does it match categories of GCS? And we saw that that's very evident. But when we talk about the mortality, I guess first we should say what the mortality rate was. So it was about a 2.8 percent mortality rate in 48 yes. hours, Yes, which yeah. you, you can tell us if that fits with general epidemiology in the region for that kind of condition. Um,
2: yeah, uh, I, I I cannot vouch for that because our cohort is a little different. Right. Uh, yeah. Most of this serious space, I mean, like I can say I'm doubtful about whether the system is attending to most serious injuries on the roads because sometimes they are picked by the local vehicle and we don't know what is happening. We did not study about the entire cohort of trauma cases in the locality. Uh, we did not have an idea about that. But 2.5, it is it is it is in, it is matching the literature that we found in that region. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think that's important. You know, I call yeah. it the gut check, just to make sure yeah. if we saw a much higher mortality rate, we'd have to ask ourselves what was happening. But this seems to fit yeah. in line. Yeah. And then when we check the differences in mortality, so we can look at, the probability yeah. and odds yes. of death at 48 hours. I think this is fascinating. So just talking about um, AFPU and GCS here, we see as the categories increase, so does mortality. Uh, but perhaps you wanna talk us through some of your key takeaways and in, in what you found here.
2: Yeah, so, uh, let me talk, I mean, something about the numbers, like, we had 2,900 uh, activations that had both avpu and GCS. In those 2,900 activations, we were able to follow up only 2,184 patients. So that 2,184 is the patient that we were able to follow up at 48 hours. Uh, rest mm-hmm. of the patients are lost for follow-up. Uh, so our uh, primary measure was 48-hour mortality. There were 61 deaths in these 2,184 patients. Uh, So now if you look at the breakup over where like alert patients had only 1.1% mortality of death, but as we move from A to V to P and U, the mortality is increasing by a factor of three to four with each step. And the patients who are unresponsive has 50% more probable to die compared to patients who are alert. And if we take triage, anyone who is not alert, transfer them to trauma center. There itself, we have a difference of minimum 4% difference in mortality. I, I don't take mortality as a factor that influences transfer to a trauma center it may be severity of injury not the mortality as such It, yeah but right. we took mortality as an indirect measure of severity of injury in the absence of uh, um, so the probability of death increase multiple as we move from A to V to pain and unresponsive and the same pattern is seen in GCS severity categories like uh, mild moderate and severe the usual categories that we use in hospital and even there you see the mortality has increased by almost eight times Uh, the probability of has increased by eight times when we move from mild to moderate and it increased five times when we move from moderate to severe. So, yeah, in the EMS for an EMT, uh, there is a lot of difference between a trauma patient who is alert and a trauma patient who is responding to verbal commands or pain or unresponsive. Uh, It makes a, a lot of difference as such. And our data shows
1: it definitely shows, and we have a question from one of the audience members yeah. about that categorization of GCS. So I mean, why the categorization mild, moderate, and severe, and just where did those categories come from? Did they come from the data, or are these things that are just used commonly?
2: Yeah, this is used commonly, and you, we can refer to the manual of uh, ATLS, Advanced Life Support. They they use the same thing. So it's a pretty much standard uh, GCS categorization, mild, moderate, severe. We use the same thing where, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, we tried initially to take the same uh, uh, confidence interval that we got for alert verbal pain and unresponsive. Um, but we thought, no, we'll follow what is available in tra- literature. Uh, standard, what is the standard thing? So we use the standard mild, moderate, severe for GCS.
1: Right. and And that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And then... Yeah. I want to show this next figure because I think it's also really important. And we we didn't talk about in the methods, but we can spend a second talking about what area under the receiver operating curve means, because this is really important here when we're looking at the outcome. Uh, So for our audience, the receiver operating curve, uh, 0.5 is a coin flip. And anything above 0.5 means that it has better discrimination than a coin flip um just yeah. to put in context most of our stroke scales are around a point 7 or 70% and so let's talk about what you found here dr janagama in terms of both the AVPU and the gcs in the area under the curve
2: yeah so anything less than 50% is it's this use the word useless sort of yeah <laughs> so fair. yeah so 50 to 60 yeah it's a poor test 60 to 70 is okay 70 to 80 yeah, and 70 to 80 to 90 is this excellent this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we got area uh, area number of 81.5% for GCS and uh, AV for APPO it is 79. And you look, look at the confidence intervals they map. They are very the narrow. same, yeah. very narrow, they are the same. And what it shows is the discriminative ability of that particular test to discriminate between the patients who die i mean who are who have the highest probability of death at 48 hours and who don't have and these tests are good at discriminating between those patients uh patients who are who have a chance of dying and patients who have, have a chance of surviving mm-hmm, Yeah, they are comparable and why i com- we compared gcs and avpu is gcs is taken as a standard across that is given so where does avpu stand compared to gcs that's what we tried to check and we found the same uh, area under the curve is almost the same and the confidence interval they map out and we indirectly took an implied evidence of like yeah the, they give the same information.
1: Yeah, and there, the evidence here it looks really strong, especially with the narrow confidence intervals. And then you know, because we have this evidence, there's a lot of good implications around it. So I want to invite the other panelists if they have questions to mm-hmm. pop in and ask. I know that we're nearing our last 10 minutes, uh, but you know, I want to highlight some of the things that I think that this you know this can be used for. So one is you know, if I'm an EMS agency and I'm currently using GCS do i need to throw it out and not use it ever again i don't think that's what we're saying but if i was starting from scratch and i have to train people which one's going to be easier for me to train and and as an emt in the field which one's easier for me to remember i like afbu because it stands for what it means right alert verbal pain unresponsive okay um so I, i think there's advantages you know to thinking about that from a systems design approach Also for research, um, often in our EPCR data, we may only get the AVPU and we don't get GCS, but what if we wanted to control for severity? This would let us make some categories of AVPU to think through for research, which I think is also a huge benefit to this.
2: I want to add one point uh, here. The, The other motivation for this paper is its data being available and we have independent systems like PCR, patient care reports from the ambulance and the EHR from the hospitals. And we have our EMTs logging in information and entering the data for a long time. Yeah. And emerging information technology, we can use the data, the number of case records that are entered by the EMT, and uh, emergency, we can actually using artificial intelligence, we can, over a period of time, we can develop perfect, tailor the bands for each EMT and for that particular level of injury. So one motivation for this paper was, how can we support uh, algorithm development, Mm -hmm. which converts uh, AVPO into a GCS band, That is tailored to a particular individual because there is high inter-rater variability. So this band we can tailor it to The particular individual who is recording it and particular type of emergency that we are handling so there is a possibility to map these things where the PCR speaks with the EHR and we can get data from both ends and we can over a period of time. So if some EMT has given EMT B has given our full personnel have given alert for the one patient, what particular type of emergency, one particular X EMT has given, we can the system can map a right GCS to that. So oh, be one I that's
1: an exciting future where, you know, we can use artificial intelligence to create curbside decision yeah. support uh, where we've seen some of this in the hospital, but with EMS data, we haven't done as much. But this sets up the framework very nicely for that. Yeah. And Jeff.
4: Uh, again, thank you for sh- uh, showing us how powerful this research is, as Remly was saying, and as you were saying Dr. Agama earlier, GCS, we know we're really, I mean, we're great at three, we're great at 15, we're decent with 14, but we really do our our inter-rater reliability. Um, The same exact patient, many folks, and not just EMS folks, physicians, based on the literature, sometimes guilty of this as well, can be really hard to rate these patients. Um, I was wondering if you had any, I mean, AVPU on its face, it seems simple enough. And we'd like to think that we can all um, rate patients fairly easily and reliably. I was wondering if you have looked at all the reliability of the AVPU measure and had a follow-up question.
2: No, I mean, like we looked at the literature and we did not concentrate much on the point you are raising, like what is the reliability of AVPU? Yeah, yeah, we did not do that. But this, the other thing we were satisfied with was, yeah, we are, we are, we know for sure that GCS is, there is a or variability. That component is agreed, but in the presence of it, how does AVPU relate to GCS? That's what we 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 did not go beyond that. We did not go beyond.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think and that makes expect-
2: sense. Yeah, and we took it for granted that our EMTs, the variability will be very high. And one limitation of this study is if the GCS was from a trained physician,
0: mm-hmm. it would
2: have been even more beneficial. And we had another set of uh, GCS recordings from the hospital in addition to EMT, probably it would have been even more wonderful and credible this thing
1: yeah and i would say i think these findings are likely to replicate we we feel similar strains with the gcs here so you know taking to a national data set like our nemsis data set or something like yeah. that i would be very curious to see first of all knowing that there's variability in the number of records that would have both recorded yeah. but i would not be surprised if these findings generalize quite nicely
4: yeah i was also wondering um i mean based on this terrific and really strong work that you've done, what you're doing with this and what's next. I'm always interested in the policy implications. Not sure if you're kind of adapting your protocols that um, right now it sounds like you have to call the online medical control to go a little further for the trauma center. But based on this, maybe you're modifying the protocols that, hey, if someone is not alert, go straight to the trauma center and don't necessarily need the online medical control. Are there any other change?
2: yeah. similar changes? Yeah, we hope we hope uh, this particular finding should get into a triage. But before that, uh, we need some credible studies looking at um, so in GCS, we use the one recorded by the EMT. I will be comfortable when we have a GCS recorded by the physician as soon as the patient is brought into the hospital. Uh, instead of a convenient sample i want a proper experiment to be done that way we can be more sure about this but this paper shows something like uh, we should work on two-pronged approach like develop the algorithms give inputs to algorithm development not that we are taking away gcs but not that ai takes over everything no it will assist, assist us it's going to make decisions easier uh, take more decisions in uh, in the same time that we uh, taking now and at the same time uh, pro- promote some other experiments wherein before after which we can take a decision to change and this particular even we need not go for this ROC and all even just that interquartile ranges when we compare them with the triage decision scheme it is 14 or less that matters right and in our results it is clearly showing the 14 is different from whatever comes below 13 and below are entirely different the probability of death is entirely different from the patients who are 14 and 15, and 14 and pa- 15 are patients are all alert, most probably significantly different. They're all alert, and rest of the patient, and all those who are less than, I mean, who are responding to verbal commands or pain or unresponsive, they have significant, they have GCS is significantly between, is below 14, mm. right? So that matches our,
1: I think sometimes the best research raises more questions and makes us want to go do more experiments. So this definitely (laughs) sets us up for that. Now, I have a really unpopular task ahead of me, which is getting us out of here on time. So we uh, we really wanted to thank you for, first of all, the study. This is an incredible amount of work that went into this. It's very clear. Um, And for sharing your time to explain some of the background of the study that we just wouldn't get from the paper. So thank you so much for being here.
2: I thoroughly enjoyed it. This is my, uh, this is the best moment I have had in the recent years. And I take it as a, for all my work in EMS for the past 10 years, almost 12 years, uh, this is a trophy for me. And thank you so much for inviting me. And initially when I saw the mail, I did not believe it. I spoke to my mentor here. Uh, at stanford this is what i got no you have to go and i'll so i thank you so much and we have a wonderful team in india which developed the system i am part of that team. I'm totally the team i am totally indebted and this and we took a lot of learnings from us NHTSA and all nena uh they helped us at stanford some of the EMTs from across the us they came in and they studied and they gave some inputs and we are really, really happy with what is going on for all the cooperation that is extended towards. And thank you so much. Thank you well, so thank much. Thank you.
1: And I, I think there's going to be a lot of learnings we can take away from the system that's yeah. being built over there and great research like this. So. Thank you again. And as a reminder for the audience, uh, just to let you know, we have the Education Research Journal Club on Friday, August 26th. And then we're going to be back here with the clinical podcast, second Monday of the month, September 12th. So thank you all again. And we look forward to being here with you
0: next time. We hope you have enjoyed and learned from this PCRF journal club. Please share it with other interested EMS professionals. An archive of past journal clubs can be found at pcrfpodcast.org. You can also find us on Facebook, at PCRF at UCLA, and on our website, prehospitalcare.org. A special thank you to our sponsors, Limmer Education, providing educational tools for success at every stage of your EMS journey. And ESO, dedicated to improving community health and safety through the power of data.